the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's business is demanding a new set of skills. More than ever, people are looking to engage deeply with their work and align with companies that support their values. Today's guest, Sybil Chavis, believes that in order to succeed in this new environment, we must focus on inner skills such as presence, mindfulness, and empathy. She is here today to talk about the importance of being authentic and bringing our unique expression to work. Sybil is the Chief Business Officer of Sounds True Publishing. Welcome, Sybil. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. So, Sybil, I want to start off by talking about your journey. You're an attorney who decided to make a major change in the direction of your life. So what is it that happened to you that put you on a new path? You know, I think it was a culmination of a lot of things, just life, going through life and trying to align with answering that question, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? And I had thought I had known that since I was seven years old, I wanted to be an attorney and had devoted my whole life and worked so hard to get there. And then when I got into my first law firm experience, I was like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) That's not what I was expecting. And then I was like, okay, pivot. Maybe I need to change and apply my legal skills in a different fashion. So I went and worked in-house at a advertising agency. And again, I think all of the experiences you know, had their advantages and I learned so much, but I still just felt like there was something, I just felt like there's something missing. Mm-hmm. And one thing led to another and just did a lot of reflection and a lot of, oh my goodness, am I really going to do this? And I took the leap of faith and quit my job to pursue a life that I felt was more aligned with my purpose and still being able to really take advantage of all the things I had learned from law and business, but be a part of like the spiritual industry or inner skills and development, personal growth was more aligned with the the topics and areas I was passionate about. You know, a lot of people have those moments in their life during their career when they're doing something that may not be fulfilling them and they want to make a change, but they're afraid to do so because it could mean uprooting everything. So how did you know you were making the right decision? You know, it's interesting because when the time came for me to actually quit my job, it was after a long period of going back and forth, am I really going to quit my job? This is crazy. Like who's going to, who quits their job? Mm -hmm. I've done everything that I was supposed to do to get here. And at the time too, interestingly enough, my husband was having the same doubts and he was also an attorney. And we were like, we have kids, responsibilities, bills. Like, are we really going to do this? Is this the right decision? And I can't say that I felt a hundred percent confident that, okay, now's the time, let's do it. But I was very confident that it was the right decision because I just knew that if I ever was going to have that feeling of fulfillment, I was going to have to change things up. Yeah, because I'm not sure it's ever really the right time to do anything. I'm not sure what the right time looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and I know in my life, the, the work that I'm doing now, this was the result of a complete reinvention in my 40s. I had been working prior to having my family, and then I chose to become a stay-at-home mom. And in those 17 years, I really lost who I was. And I had gotten to a point where I said to myself, if I don't make some changes, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to find myself again. There was so much of me gone. And so I had this idea. You talk about crazy ideas. It was to start a radio show. And as I was doing all of this in one weekend, my mom had a stroke and my sister was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. And so in the following year, my mom died, my sister died. My husband didn't like the changes I was making in my life. So our marriage broke up. And the interesting thing is, as you were saying, you make these changes and you don't know where you're heading and you can let fear stop you from ever moving forward. But what I found and it wasn't easy, and I'm sure you can attest to that. None of this is easy, but I have found that sometimes the best results come from a redirection. Absolutely, and I think what you touched on specifically in terms of understanding it's okay if you have fear, and most likely you're going to. At least for me, those times in my life where I have had things that just felt so right deep down, mm-hmm. on the other side of them was having to take a risk and fear and doubt. Right. And so just being able to say, it's okay, I can, I can move through this, I can take steps forward, and step by step, the fear will melt away, and I'll make more and more progress and get to where I really feel like I'm supposed to be. You mentioned that you were searching for something that was a little bit more spiritually oriented. Is that how you landed at Sounds True? You know, <clears throat> I think I was... I was really searching from a career standpoint for something that just felt like it was going to have more social impact in the mm-hmm. world, personal impact. And I just wanted to see, find something that I could still do business and legal and bring all of the skills and things that I was interested in, but in a different arena, a different area. And so personally, my own journey has been informed by my spiritual journey. And so I was reading a lot of authors like Eckhart Tolle and Children and Jack Kornfield and Tara Brock. And all of those authors were authors that sounds true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was a client before I, I, was, I always make the joke. I was a customer before I worked at sounds true. And one thing led to another. And, you know, I was on sounds true site and I was like, Oh my goodness that's an interesting opportunity. Maybe that, would I actually do that? <laughs> you know, move to, cause it sounds true in Colorado at the time I was living and I could continue to live actually right now in Southern California. But I was just like, mm, what can it hurt? You know, I'll just send in my information and the stars aligned. And you know, it, it's the best job because you're doing something that you are passionate about. And like I said, mm-hmm. some of the best outcomes come from redirection. Absolutely. I mean, what you said is really something that took a while to settle in for me that a lot of times you do have to redirect and take those chances and pivot. But to your point, when you feel those times in your life and those moments arise and it just feels right at your core and in your gut, then you're supposed to pivot. You're supposed to take those chances. Business today it's demanding a new set of skills, as I said in the introduction, and people are looking at it differently. In the time that you've been working in a corporate environment, what types of changes have you seen in the way we conduct business? Well, it's interesting because I think it would probably, the answer be informed by the specific business and company and the way that certain companies are going about it. So I came from a very traditional experience is, you know, at a law firm, it's about as traditional as you can get in the business world. Right. And then going to an advertising agency and working with some clients that are larger clients, big brands, automotive brands, telecommunication brands, I really got to dive in and have that experience and see the way that they went about business. And to come to Sounds True and see a totally different approach that 
because of just what we do by nature is about personal growth and helping people with the products. It's, it's just an amazingly different perspective and the areas that we're focused on, the programs that we're focused on bringing to life, the way we go about business and ensuring that we're living inside the walls of Sounds True, the programs and the teachings and are consistent with what we're sharing with the world, mm-hmm. for me has been the biggest difference uh, in terms of experience with my prior career and, and what I get to do now at Sounds True. Words like presence, mindfulness, empathy, they're not usually synonymous with business. So how do those things, presence, mindfulness, empathy, how do they factor into business success? Well, it's interesting because, as you mentioned, in so many uh, business environments, they're not a part of it. And what I've come to understand after being It Sounds True is so many of the moments that happen to us through the day, whether it's writing an email, really connecting with other employees, sitting in a conference room and coming up with the best ideas, all of those are moments for presence and mindfulness and true authentic connection and understanding like that you have an opportunity to take advantage of that in each moment mm-hmm. and align with that and that there's certain practices and, and ways to get better and better and to build these capacities, these inner skills has been one of my biggest realizations in life and then to be able to really deepen into what that means in the teachings and have an experience at work where you're continually practicing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is kind of <laughs> the point of it. Right, <laughs> like right. This, I, I spend, you spend so much time at work, you know, 80% of your time or 70% of your time with the people that you're working with, if you think about it on a, any given day, this is the best place to practice, to be real, to show up with those capacities that we're supposed to grow and deepen into over our lifetime. Do you think we're doing a good job training our employees and our future leaders? I think certain companies most, you know, definitely are. You know, one of the partners that we work with on a program, the Inner MBA, LinkedIn, uh, definitely has invested a lot of time in terms of training and mindfulness and compassion. And actually the head of mindfulness and compassion is a part of the Inner MBA program, which is where I have seen the most training happen uh, with corporations coming into that program uh, to participate with us from like Google and Verizon media and to see them all really embracing the skills and the curriculum that's taught in that program and see them then take that back to their corporate environments. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a wave going on. We, We call it conscious business rising and I do think that, you know, in addition to our programs in our MBA, there are corporations and other programs and people that really are invested in this different way of doing business. So you just mentioned an inner MBA program and Sounds True has one. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how can our listeners get involved? Sure. The inner MBA is a program that we began in Sounds True last year, and that was our inaugural program. And it's in partnership with LinkedIn, and we also are in partnership with uh, Mindful NYU, which is a division of NYU. And at the end of the nine-month program, students come in for nine months, they receive a certificate from NYU. And what's really cool about the program is it really is focused on, you know, your inner skills and holistic growth. And we were able to integrate leaders, like the top CEO leaders, business trainers, neuroscientists, and the wisdom teachers, the spiritual teachers, all to come together and teach a class of students uh, how you actually bring these skills and these capacities to your work environment, grow personally, grow your career, grow your company. uh, And that's what the Inner MBA has been doing. And it's been a really cool program to see the students connect. They also have, you have the ability to go into groups of eight during the time of the program. So to see all of the networking and the connecting in those small groups as people are going through the curriculum has been also 
think a really big advantage for folks and to just go through those different learning experiences from business to inner to spiritual makes it a really holistic program. It sounds like an amazing program. And if our listeners would like to get more information, you can visit innermba.soundstrue.com. And so, Sybil, in our final moments, you know, we talked about how you and your husband both made major changes in your life, and it sounds like it turned out pretty good for you. So tell us about your husband. Mm -hmm. How is he doing? Did it work out as well? Yes. So my husband, he wanted to be a TV and film writer. And that is how we got to Southern California, because at the time we were living in the Midwest, in Michigan, and there's not nearly as much TV and film writing going on there. So (laughs) we relocated here and, you know, it was definitely, definitely his tenacity and just taking steps forward and really saying, okay, I want to break into the entertainment industry and I want to write and I love the craft of writing and making stories come alive. And he currently works on an ABC show called Blackish. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, for me to sit and watch him build his career um, again and start at the bottom and just, you know, step by step and day by day with just hard work build it has been inspiring myself to watch. And just confirmation, you know, that I feel speaks to what you were saying earlier. Sometimes you're meant to take those changes you know, to go after them, to take those pivots. And no matter how much fear you have, or even if you're like, is this absolutely the right time? It's really leaning into that inner knowingness that we have and being willing to go for it. Absolutely. Like I've been saying, sometimes the best outcomes come from a redirection. Sybil, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story and for sharing the insight that you've gained over the years. Uh, I, I think, you know, what you've told us today has the ability to impact so many lives. So I thank you for being here and for sharing. Mm, thank you so much, Joan. I really appreciate it. It's been great. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. We all want to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. Allison is here today to discuss how to quiet overwhelm. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Oh, Joan, thanks so much for having me. So the word overwhelm today, Allison, that's an understatement in so many of our lives. So for the purpose of our conversation, how do you define overwhelm? Well, I think when I think about being overwhelmed, you're in the moment and everything that's happening is making you feel almost like you can't breathe, that you have too much to do. You have too much stress. You have too much worry. You have too many projects you have to complete, too many demands from the kids. And you're just feeling like it's not possible to get everything done. But what's so interesting about the idea of overwhelm is a lot of those emotions are us projecting into the future. Many times we feel overwhelmed 
not just from everything we have to do, but how is it going to turn out? And, and what we also do is we take the things we have to do and they become monsters and they become these huge things that really are not that big. But when you put your whole life together, it's almost like you take your entire life on in one moment. And it's very difficult. A lot of us feel that way. And it's not that we're all not busy, but if we break everything down a little bit, we will see that some of the overwhelm comes from thinking too much about how everything's going to work out in the future. Some of it comes from worry. Some of it comes from fear. And some of it comes from not organizing our day to get the most that we can get done. So you just said that sometimes we allow things to become a monster in our life. So what happens when we do allow that to happen, when these feelings consume us? We actually become much less productive and we live with a tremendous amount of fear and a tremendous amount of worry and anxiety. So the quality of our life is diminished. What's so interesting is that instead of breaking things down and being able to deal with each moment at a time, we take it all on and get less done. So that's why it's so important to find a mechanism to deal with that feeling because that feeling really can take over our lives. And so we're looking at the big picture and yet we're not taking about taking care of the life in front of us. So, you know, I always like to ask you to leave us with an exercise. So is there something that you can offer to us that can help us reduce the feelings of overwhelm so that we can move forward and live a more peaceful life? Oh, absolutely. And the first thing I always tell people to do is write down everything that you have on your plate. And it might sound so simple. How is this going to help me? Well, how it's going to help is that, again, it's when we look at our life, everything at once, we take on it all at once, it feels so overwhelming. But when you break it down, you will see that some of it is just something we create in our mind. Like Sometimes you have little tasks. Maybe you have to go buy a waste paper basket. You have to buy food. But when you couple that with a presentation and something you have to do for your child, it all seems so big. So when you write it down, you start to see, wait a second, this is not my life. This is not who I am. What happens is it becomes our identity. No, these are just things I have to do today. That alone calms us down. And the next thing you could do is make another column next to that and actually figure out how long things are going to take you. Sometimes there are five things on your list, six things on your list that will take all together one hour. So what you're going to do is once you see the time, you're going to take that on. You're going to say, I'm going to put everything else down. And for this hour, I'm going to make that purchase, take care of this, take care of that. And there are five things off your list. And then the next thing you do is also write down how everything's making you feel. Because sometimes when you identify how things are making you feel, you realize I've lost perspective. Or you realize, oh, that's a little thing. I could take care of that. So as you're going through this and you're becoming more aware of everything that has to be done, how it's making you feel, again, it's going to give you more ease and more calm. And then someone could say to me, well, I do have too much to do. But then you have to look at the emotional piece of all those things. Let's say you have a presentation and you're totally overwhelmed by it. Are you overwhelmed by the fact you don't have those five hours? Or is part of that feeling the fact you think your boss isn't going to be happy? You think it's not going to work out. You're afraid uh, you won't get the client. Whatever you're fearing is adding to that overwhelmed feeling. And what I do at that point is I also incorporate this idea of maybe. Because what you can do is you can look what pieces in my control and what isn't. Okay, I can only complete this project but then I still have the fear it's not going to work out. So then you ask yourself, am I absolutely certain it's not going to work out? And we can never be certain how the presentation is going to work out. We could only know that we could only do our best in that moment. So the minute you realize you don't know it's going to be bad, you don't know it's not going to work out, you start to engage in the maybe. Maybe everything will be okay. Maybe I need to do more research. Maybe things will work out no matter what. Maybe I can handle this. Maybe these thoughts are not true. And as you start to do that, you're going to start to lessen the fear, lessen that feeling of overwhelm because you realize there's so much more that's possible. And then you're going to land back in the moment. And the moment is the place that we are the most powerful. We're, we're usually not overwhelmed in the moment. We're usually powerful and centered and ready to take on what life has to offer us. So if you go through this exercise, you write it down, you look at the time, you look at how emotionally things are making you feel, you engage in the maybe. All of a sudden, you're going to be more present and you're going to be more ready to take on everything that you have to deal with 
in your life. And it's such an interesting time because the pandemic is making us all feel so overwhelmed and so worried. But if you break it down, you're going to create more resilience and more power and really find strength in yourself that when this pandemic's over, you're going to be so strong and so ready to go out into the world and take on so much more because you're going to have resilience. You're going to figure out how to time management. You're going to have less worry, less stress, and more power because the moment will always be by your side. You know, Allison, I love the gift of maybe because it, it's so beautiful because it applies to basically everything we are experiencing in life. It, it really offers such a sense of peace and calm. And I, and I don't think you could talk to us enough about it. So I thank you for being here and for sharing this because like you said, we're going through some really challenging times right now, but there are things that we can do to quiet the overwhelm and to bring peace back in. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, you can visit alisoncarmen.com or as always to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. We'll be right back. Hi, doctor. Hey, freelancer. Hi there, business owner. Today's world has so many acronyms. As leaders called upon to speak to our teams, to the public, and to our patients and clients, we must be very careful about the choice of acronyms that we use. If folks don't understand our acronyms like ROI, EBITDA, EMR, CRM, FTCPA, etc., then our messages are missing the target. This is Vito Mazza with Kinem.com, and today I want to share two powerful and positive acronyms, NARUKA and NAOP. In our professional careers, when we are awarded preferred status by a particular person or organization, it's a positive idea to share that with our potential clients. I'm delighted to share a proud moment about NARUCA, the Northeast Regional Urgent Care Association, and NAOP, the National Association of Occupational Health Professionals, two outstanding medical organizations. We are thrilled to announce that Kinem Inc. has just been honored with preferred vendor status by both of these outstanding medical entities. They represent two of the fastest growing segments in medicine. Kinem will be helping them with cash flow management services. We're very grateful for this recognition and would love to tell you more about it. So call me at 800 800- 850-5110. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a friend's child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, but on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole, an oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman, here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed. Then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. 
Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Stop texts, stoprex.org. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. People are fascinated by twins. They've been studied by doctors and adored by Hollywood. Our next guest, Marilyn House, knows firsthand what it's like to be a twin. She joins us today to talk about the intimate bond between twins and the courage it takes to break away. Marilyn is the author of the book, Half of a Whole, My Fight for a Separate Life. Welcome, Marilyn. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Marilyn, before we talk about your book, I want to touch upon your story, which is fascinating. You raised three children, earned an MBA, traveled internationally as a corporate executive, and only after you retired did you begin working on your book, and you'll be almost 80 when it's published. So tell us a little bit about that story. How did you decide that you wanted to write a book? Well, uh, I didn't really decide I, I wanted to write a book. I had, as you just described, uh, stepped through many different phases of my life uh, and my career in working. And then when I retired at age 67, I decided uh, that I had now, now that I had time to do what I wanted to do, that I would like to write. And I had a good friend who taught writing workshops. So I started uh, in the workshops and I wrote all these little stories about growing up on the farm. And one of the, after some time, the people would say, you know, every story you write, your twin is in that story. And why don't you write that story? So I did. I started writing that, maybe I was 70 by then. And it took me until um, a couple years ago before I finally finished that. That was quite a big challenge for someone who's never tackled a book. And, of course, I had to learn the craft while I was writing. So that meant um, it took me that long to, to write the book. I wanted to start off with that story because, just as an aside, you know, so often people think that they're getting too old to do something. And I hate when I hear that because I believe that it's never too old to follow a passion. So I'm I'm really excited that you're here to share this with us. Well, thank you. It's And I think what you say is absolutely true. Um, you can start anything. I mean, I had to learn the craft. I read a lot of um, books about writing and I got uh, publications and I went to workshops because I knew I had to learn the craft while I was writing. But yes, um, I don't think anyone is ever too old to start writing or start something you really want to do. So you said that when you were writing your stories, you you started writing about your twin and and what that experience was like, and, and now you wrote a book about twins. So what is it like being a twin? Is there really a special bond Yes, yes, there is. And uh, one of the things that I describe in the book is how in- intimate that bond is and how how um, strong it is. And, you know, if you think about it, twins share a uterus, so you hear each other's heartbeats from the time you're uh, still, before you're born. And in our case, we were raised out on a farm on what used to be a prairie, so we were each other's companions from early on. We spent all our time together, and then we went to a one-room school where we were our desks were never more than a few feet apart. And um, I think you know, twins have a very intense bonding. And in fact, I was reading something about twins tend to bond with each other. Uh, a lot of a lot of small children have stuffed animals or loveys, they call them, and twins have each other. So the bond is very, very strong, uh, and uh, and that stays with with you. I mean, I learned that when my brother developed his mental illness and um, I had moved to the East Coast kind of trying to escape from all of it and found out just how deeply 
uh, uh, into my being he existed. So twins do have a very special bond. Did you find that a lot of your self-image and your self-esteem was wrapped up in this bond? Yes, yes, uh, I think so. Um, I, I felt things that happened to him as though they happened to me. Uh, when we were in school and someone would tease him, I would cry. <laughs> and um, I, I remember my mother telling a story when we were very small, when Marvin, my twin, refused to take his cough syrup. So I took it for him. And thinking, you know, in my mind, if one of us took it, it would work. Um, so, yes, and when he had, um, when when things went badly for him or went wrong for him, um, I just felt uh, almost as though it had happened to me. You know, parents tend to treat their daughters and sons differently anyway. What was that like for you as a twin? Were you treated the same as your brother, or were you treated very differently? Well, the first years. Uh, we were treated much alike. My mother dressed us alike, as much as you can dress, uh, dress a boy and a girl alike. And and she bought us the same toys. We both had Tinker Toys, and we both had uh, little what we call Betsy Wetsy dolls. And then as we moved into adolescence, that's when we really started to separate. And that's when I saw the, um, the, the way the family worked with the boy and the girl, where the sons on a farm are definitely... Uh, the favored um, child, the favored children. The oldest son, which was my twin, was supposed to take over the farm, take over the responsibilities for the family. And so that's when I began to really feel the paternalistic um, um, uh, uh, nature of, of the relationships. For parents who are raising twins, what is your advice to help them make sure that their children develop their own identity? Well, uh, I think it would be a mistake to separate twins that have been together so much when they start school because they really do enjoy each other and find um, a kind of courage in being close to each other. But I would definitely say don't compare them. Don't compare them and find what each chill, what each of them is good at and support them in that and don't uh, try very hard to not make any um comparisons of one with the other because they're going to have different skills and different talents. And if you do compare them, the one that's um, seemingly ahead is going to feel guilty and the one that's behind is going to feel uh, less valued. So I would say very strongly to um, uh, and to allow them to develop their own interests um, and, and encourage them to develop their own interests. In addition to your twin brother, you also had other siblings. What was your relationship with them? Was it kind of like you and your brother against the world? And, and how did they relate to both of you? Uh, my twin and I spent all our time together. My sister was four years older, so she, we didn't see a lot of her. She was around us when we played. She played with us a little bit, but um, we were really a duo. And then mm -hmm. my younger brother is 10 years younger, so when he was born, it was like he was my child. You know, It was like he was a real live doll for me to play with. So my relationships with my, my younger brother and my sister are very good, but uh, not not with that kind of intimate bonding with a twin. I didn't take them into my psyche like I did my twin. Your brother experienced mental health issues. What was that like for you? Well, that was horrific. You know, the book um, uh, starts with with his uh, psychotic breakdown. He had severe bipolar illness, bipolar disorder. And... Um, it was traumatic for him, of course, and it was traumatic for me because I was there when it happened and I had to be the one that called the police to have him get into the hospital. It was the only way we could get the help he needed. And, of course, he never forgave me for that um, when he was ever he got manic. And he was hospitalized eight times um, before his death in, uh, 20 years later. And... Um, and each time he got manic, he would look back at that and say, I was the one who got him labeled, uh, labeled. And then any time he did anything which people would consider normal, he would be um, put into the uh, a psych ward because he had gotten this label. So he accused me of that whenever he was manic. And that was very, very hard for me um, to, um, but, I, but I understood it had to do with his uh, illness. And... Uh, and then I found a way to connect with him 
when um, he wasn't, you know, when he wasn't manic. When, uh, and so it was very difficult. It's difficult to connect with someone who has a mental illness, and especially for me, who had been so close to him. It was, um, but I did find that, uh, I, I did find that we visited him, my husband and I visited him when he was in a, in a psychiatric ward several times, and he was always glad to see us. So it was a very complicated, difficult relationship, and uh, I found that by writing to him, um, he would write back, and that was, and then calling him periodically, that I was able to find uh, the pieces of the relationship that still worked. Do you think the stigma associated with mental illness has changed? You know, it, when my brother first. Uh, we didn't know he had the mental illness. He was 45 years old when he had that psychotic breakdown. Only looking backwards could we see the signs and hints of it. He was very good at hiding it. Um, the stigma was so great uh, in the community where I grew up that no one would ever talk about mental illness. And in fact, the, in the church we were in, which was a fundamentalist evangelical church, a mental illness was sort of considered to be possessed by demons, so the stigma was amazing. So I would say it's definitely improved today. People are talking about mental illness more. They're uh, more open about it. People like me are writing about it. Um, but there's a very long way to go. There's a very long way to go. And I think to keep talking, keep writing, and and not to, um, not to hide it, um, we actually... Uh, my mother and my brother never, my mother and my twin never admitted that he had a mental Ill- illness. So we couldn't talk about it when they were around. And that was very difficult. And I would say that uh, the more we talk about it, uh, I think that will go a long way to helping. And I think um, there are organizations now, MAMI, that um, uh, are very good at helping people who have, almost everyone knows or has someone in their family who has a mental illness. The book is Half of a Whole, My Fight for a Separate Life. Marilyn, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life coaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. Are you familiar with the various components of stress management to help take care of your overall health? Hello, my name is Steve Gutman, owner of Mind Body Dynamics. According to research, these components would be essential for stress management. First one is good nutrition. Second one, getting enough sleep. Third is physical exercise. The fourth, relaxation. The fifth is a personal connection to others. And then the sixth is the attitude of gratitude and appreciation. When you're more aware of these components, you can then focus on achieving them. And this, of course, helps contribute to overall health. If you need any support, guidance, have any questions, you can reach me at mindbodydine.com. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. 
and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life book club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. It's time for To Your Health. Joining me today to discuss heart health is Dr. Constantine Athenasulius, a cardiac surgeon who teaches at the University of Alabama. Welcome, Dr. A. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Doctor, how prevalent is heart disease? Well, you know, they say it's the number one killer in the United States, and and most of what we see as surgeons and as cardiologists uh, is actually stuff that can be somewhat prevented. Uh, Healthy lifestyle, not smoking, etc., so I think we're we're moving more toward uh, preventative care, although we have very advanced treatments for existing heart failure. But we have to get our young people on the path to good lifestyles to prevent, put us out of business. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and that's really the message that I try to drive home with this show. My mom passed away after having heart disease. She had cardiac surgery and she had extensive surgery. And so for someone like me to know that I'm not genetically predetermined to go down that path, that I have a lot of control over the matter. That's really an important message that I hope our listeners will will pay attention to. Exactly. And there are some genetic predispositions, but despite those, and we don't really understand those fully, uh, but despite those, I think that uh, what we can do for ourselves as individuals is just a healthy lifestyle. You know, obesity is now so prevalent and um, we need to sort of start working on the preventative aspects, I think. Doctor, we hear people use the term heart attack or heart failure. Is there a difference, and, and what is it? Well, a heart attack is an acute event. It's a sudden event, and that's an event where somebody usually experiences chest pain, and the artery that has a, uh, a cholesterol plaque in it ruptures, and that uh, it exudes a sort of... Uh, cholesterol uh, creamy package into the artery and then the blood flow to the heart muscle is obstructed all of a sudden and that causes uh, the heart to not function well. It can cause heart rhythm disturbances and sudden death. Heart failure is a, it can be a consequence of that because now you have an area of heart muscle that's been been killed off and scarred so the heart compensates by enlarging and then ultimately it doesn't eject very well and then that's what we call chronic congestive heart failure. And uh, some heart failure is actually caused by heart attacks. Some heart failure is caused by hypertension so people have to make sure they monitor their blood pressure so that they don't get heart failure. They can have normal arteries to the heart but just have severe high blood pressure and that can lead to heart failure. And um, and then there's heart failure that can occur because of old age where the heart contracts well but it doesn't relax well so it doesn't fill well and that's a very that's about half of what we see in elderly people called congestive heart failure. Doctor, when we think of a heart attack we think of the pain down the arm or the the crushing chest. But there are many other things that we should be aware of. What are some of the most common symptoms of heart disease? Well, you know, um, often patients feel like they have indigestion and they sort of um, uh, think that this will pass and they want to give it some time. But the most important thing, and that's not to say that every time you feel indigestion, you should run to the emergency room. But it does mean that uh, you have to be sort of vigilant that sometimes the pain is not severe, especially in diabetics. Some diabetics don't really feel uh, as much pain because the nerves are injured from the diabetes. And so it's very important that the time that you have a symptom to the time that you see a doctor be a very short time because often if you have a heart attack, the artery can be opened. It's opened within a, a very narrow window of time. That muscle can be saved. Time is muscle, so it's very important to seek medical care uh, if there's any question about what's going on and not to just write it off and say, well, I think I'm having indigestion. And, Doctor, don't the symptoms usually present differently in a woman than in a man? 
Well, they can, they can, uh, but um, generally we, we we're not sure of the particular changes uh, based upon upon your gender. Uh, but I think that our statistics show that often women are not overlooked necessarily, but that women may present a little later in symptoms. Part of it may be that women are more stoic, quite honestly, mm-hmm. than men. <laughs> and, and, and I think that's part of it. I mean, they're used to childbirth. They're used to, right. to, to and men are, men are generally <laughs> cry wolf a, a little quicker. But I do, I do think that, uh, that I, I honestly believe that that's part of why why we see uh, a, perhaps a gender difference and that women not not necessarily getting seen acutely. Doctor, for someone who may be middle-aged and who hasn't been exercising properly or eating the best diet for heart health, is it ever too late to reverse whatever damage may have been done? Well, that's an interesting question because... Um, uh, you know the, the guidelines uh, basically say that you're, you're never too old to change. If, if you know there is data, if you stop smoking, if you, you reduce your risk. If you lose weight, you reduce your risk. If you lower your cholesterol, if it's elevated and you're at a certain age, that all all of these measures help. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing strategies that can help us improve and maintain heart health. Thank you, Jen. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. joining us, I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.